Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. If you don't have it, go out and get it. 24-6 Jewish-oriented news, entertainment, music, and talk. And we are talking politics here this morning. Game on for the 2020 presidential election the tickets are now formed, and Joe Biden could have could have put us all out of a misery with this waiting game. In the end, picking Senator Kamala Harris of California, a 2020 also ran. Somebody who dropped out even before Iowa, couldn't garner the support, uh, very much support, but ended up on the ticket. And she was the conventional choice. She was the safe choice. She was the one who's been for months when Biden said he's going to pick a woman and Many people said he was going to pick a black woman or African-American woman or, in this case, a Caribbean-American and Asian woman. Uh, look, I think it's great, truthfully, that we are kind of past this in this country, that it should be um, kind of a given that it's we can consider a woman for the vice presidency or a person of color for the vice presidency, or the presidency for that matter, that it's not a disqualifying factor. Remember, it wasn't that long ago when there were serious questions about having about the idea of having a Catholic run for president or having a Jew run for president. Um, that was a kind of a disqualifier that only white Anglo-Saxon Protestants need apply for the job. So it's a great testament to the greatness of America that anyone, no matter what their background, should be able to rise up and get elected to the highest office in the land or any other office for that matter. And from my perspective, and I think from you know conservative or more libertarian perspective or somebody who believes that we should tr- strive towards a more colorblind society, uh, to the extent that we've seen that's difficult, of course, in the last couple months, but this is a great testament to the resilience of the United States that we can go at one point also have this consciousness that is broken out in the wake of George Floyd's killing and recognize that there are there is a strength in diversity, there's a strength in unity, and the politics is the art of addition and not subtraction. And I think all candidates all around for any office should Try and think about that and try and practice that, about how they can add to their support. Not necessarily double down, triple down on the more narrow uh, base support as we've seen in the last uh, couple cycles. And yes, I I do say this to my own party. I say this to the Republican Party is saying, hey, there's a lot of America that probably from a policy perspective would want to join the Republican Party who believes in the ideals of the Republican Party, but in a sense, they don't feel enfranchised. They don't feel welcomed. They don't feel loved. They don't feel that the Republican Party is speaking to them. And uh, I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I think that that is the, you know, to me, one of the problems that the president is having connecting with the electorate right now, the broader electorate, not the base electorate, but the broader electorate. One of the problems that he's having right now is he's right about the speech about Rushmore. He's right about the culture that wants to destroy the uniqueness of America, that wants to 
talk about the great gains of Western civilization and the incredible democracy that we have as Americans and the incredible resilience of our republic that has endured and was a literally a, a radical experiment in the history of government, in the history of the world, uh, and is just a special place. It's been a special place for the Jewish people in particular. And we credit that to America. And we can't wipe that away, despite the fact that there might have been uh, this stain of slavery and racism that we know about, that we can discuss, and we can discuss as adults, and we can discuss as uh, without the cancel culture. I, I don't necessarily love that word, but the idea of well, not want to hearing anything from anybody else from any other sides, only stay in our own vacuum, only stay in our own echo chamber, which is unfortunate because we should have a free exchange of ideas. There's no reason that people on different sides, politics is not exclusively, uh, people on different sides can't come together for meaningful dialogue and understanding. And politics has become such a team sport that I wear my jersey and I have to play and I'm only on one side and we're always going to try and win. It's, again, it's about addition. It's about coming to a mutually beneficial decision. It's not always my way. I have to do it my way. I have to do it. And, you know, we can't, uh, we won't talk and we won't discuss. And, you know, that's just so much of what's going on right now. And I think, you know, before we get back to the vice presidential thing, um, you know, I look at two primaries this week and, and uh, um, the Cook Political Report, uh, um, uh, Dave Wasserman, right? Uh, sorry, let me bring that up for a second. Uh you look at two of the primaries this week, and there are primaries going on every week. A lot of us are focused on just the the presidential election. But um, Dave Wasserman in the Cook Political Report uh, tweeted about Ilan Omar. Now, uh, this is the squad. This is Ilan Omar, who has made, uh, I think, overt anti-Semitic um, remarks. It's all about the Benjamins. Israel has hypnotized the world. It's that old conspiracy theory about uh, the Jews controlling everything and Israel policy, and like clearly she doesn't like Israel. Ilan Omar, Minnesota 5, she had a very well-funded challenger, funded by many pro-Israel donors, and um, her district voted for Clinton 73% to 18% in 2016, meaning that she essentially only has to worry about a primary, very blue district, and she's only worrying about the primary, what the primary voters need. And apparently, those primary voters, she was leading by 20 points the last time I looked. She won this handily despite a very well-funded opponent. And clearly, the voters there want her brand of progressivism, or I call it radical left uh, discussion. And she was also, in the end, supported by the Democratic establishment. Nancy Pelosi gave her money, and the institutions of the Democratic Party came around to support her against the challenger, as they often do uh, for an incumbent. It's not atypical. In fact, it, that is the standard for going to do that. And on the same time, at the same time, you also had a primary in Georgia, Georgia 14, uh, northwest Georgia, a very rural part of the state, very, very red a district that voted for Trump, 75% to 22%. Okay? And there, this Marjorie Taylor Greene has espoused uh, anti-Jewish, anti-Islamic. Uh, she has said that she has said that only people, that you should only be able to swore, be sworn in on the Christian Bible. 
uh, meaning that uh, Muslims and Jews should not be able to be sworn into office um, on the uh, on on what they want, and suggested that Muslims are unfit for office. I, the religious tests, um, of course, you know, let's go back. But more importantly, she does believe in this o- overarching, unabashedly, this overarching Q anon conspiracy theory, which has taken over a lot of the fringe right. And she seems to be part of that fringe right. Um, talked about Has talked about the Rothschilds and George Soros being part of this vast Jewish conspiracy that's out to take over the world and take over the country. Um, things along those lines. <laughs> it's troubling. And we see the fringe nature. Uh, Ilhan Omar believes on the far left, she believes that Israel also and the Jews are engaged in a conspiracy to do not what's best for America with support of Israel, but what's best for the Jews. And uh, on the right, on the far right, you will have we have a member of Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who who has espoused beliefs that also believe that there is a Jewish conspiracy taking over the world. Uh, troubling. And this is what happens in politically political polarization, that nobody cares about the center, nobody cares about mainstream voters, probably many of whom would be repelled and appalled about both of the of the rhetoric from these uh, from the two on the far right and the far left. But they don't really get a chance because they don't really get a chance to decide people in the middle because these races are decided in the primary and because these districts are so partisan and because these districts are and the world is so polarized that nobody needs to move towards the center. And uh, we used to have it in the Senate in the United States Senate that people had to win statewide and there was more of a centrist block that has gone away too because everybody is afraid of their own primary. And it's a uh, it's a challenge, it's a challenge. Um. So, what's a little bit you know as the president does, unfortunately, uh, he tweeted support for uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, even though she had been denounced and renounced by congressional Republican leaders, and she called her a super superstar on Twitter. Uh, maybe he knows, maybe he doesn't know. I I don't know. I don't control a Twitter account, and that's. A lot of, you know, been the source of some issues in the past, but we'll leave that aside for now. I think that, you know, this is a, his base, his instinct to go with the base and he sees somebody who has, uh, who has embraced that base strategy and somebody who has embraced the president altogether. Uh, she posed with, uh, for photos with a former neo-Nazi leader in Georgia and, um, you know, in her uh, in her acceptance speech, she said about Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she's a hypocrite, she's anti-American, we're going to kick that bleep out of Congress. And, um, well, let's just say she's not softening her edge in order to appeal for the general election. She's going full full on on that. And now, why am I not talking about what Ellen Omar says? Uh, because we know it already, and we know that she is... Um, uh, we're deeply troubled by her, and uh, we're deeply troubled by the attitude that she represents and that progressive wing of the party. But at the same time, and not to be apologist, the mainstream of the Republican Party, and I believe the mainstream of the Democratic Party, are both solidly pro-Israel and have rejected this. The Democratic platform reject doesn't use the word occupation. Joe Biden actually managed to beat that out. And clearly, the Republican Party, led by President Trump himself, is solidly 
pro-Israel and uh, solidly rejects, I believe, rejects all these views. But we see this fringe element on the right and the left. And don't kid yourself that to think that it's just on the left. Uh, we see this fringe element that is trying to subvert our nation's common cause with, with Israel and our and us as the Jewish people involved here in the United States and create these religious tests and the fact that you could be a Jew and not be engaged in this conspiracy against your country on behalf of a foreign nation. Um, and that's whether you're you know, involved in Israeli, in support of Israel or not. Um, well, I mean, that's just, it's just upsetting. Let me put it that way. Um, Kamala Harris uh, certainly is uh, certainly on the Israel issue, and progressives have actually howled on the idea now that they didn't get anywhere um, with regard to the Israel issue. They had high hopes for kind of pushing a farther left agenda with regard for with regard to Israel and Democratic platform and with speeches um, and potentially to get somebody who's more progressive. Uh, Harris and Biden kind of fall squarely into the. Uh, middle of the road, I would say, maybe on the right of the Democratic Party, as far as support of Israel is concerned. Uh, Harris, um, you know, certainly opposes BDS. She's not Kirsten Gillibrand. I mean, we have our own senator here from New York, Democrat, who is a, um, oh, who knows where she is now on, on Israel, just a shocking. Kamala Harris is not, or Ka- Kamala, I'm sorry if I'm butchering that, but we don't know exactly where she is on on any of these things. Okay, we have. I mean, now the stage is set. I mean, we 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 know that uh, Harris is certainly not the farthest left that Biden could have gone. He could have gone with Warren. He could have gone with Stacey Abrams. He could have gone with a number of people who were further, far further left. He went with the conventional choice. He did with. He went with this person who is, um, really kind of do no harm. I mean, California. She doesn't bring California into play, but she really doesn't do any harm. To the ticket doesn't do any harm to Biden. She can help him uh, certainly rhetorically, um, but uh, she has a Jewish husband. So the fact that it's so predictable, he could have done it a couple weeks ago. <laughs> the one thing politically that I want to point out, um, and I see, you know, because you know, from a campaign perspective, I think this is so important. Nothing leaked out about this. Nothing. Nothing from Biden's team leaked out about this. Nobody went ahead and gave any inkling about who he was going to pick. There were no stories that anybody actually knew. There were no sources close to the campaign, this, that, this was what was going on. Nothing, nothing at all. The interesting, the only thing that came out was Chris Dodd actually said publicly, who was, I guess, the chairman of the search committee or one of the people on the search committee. Chris Dodd kind of knocked Harris. And uh, there were a couple leaks about, well, kind of who was being considered so that people could kind of vet them beforehand. But it, it was kind of this idea we always knew it was going to be Harris and was going to be Harris, and that was it. And she's not Bernie Sanders. She's not Elizabeth Warren. Did she call him a racist during the debates? Uh, maybe. I mean, not exactly, but, um, you know, that's fair. Uh, plenty of people said of the 2016 Republican candidates said more awful things about Donald Trump. Uh, I It's, you know, it happens. Um this is what happens. Uh, remember when Joe Biden uh, talked about Barack Obama being articulate, and that was some kind of uh, that was considered this massive faux pas that whatever could never be uh, rectified. Uh, but yet he did it, and they managed to work together for eight years. 
Now the Trump campaign, 81 days to go. Um, they're out of the gate. They had the ads ready within within an hour, uh, maybe a half hour, maybe less, maybe 10 seconds. They were out with the uh, um, attacking Kamala's far left. Joe Biden, this is what we hear now, that Joe Biden will be controlled by the far left. He's going to be the guy. If he was controlled by the far left, he wouldn't have picked Harris. Let me put it to start with that. But that, I don't buy the idea that anybody's controlled by anybody else any more than I buy that Donald Trump is controlled by anybody or was controlled even by the adults in the room way back when, when he had Mattis Tillerson and Kelly and the various people who were out there, kind of, or even Steve Bannon. Uh, bottom line is, if you... I don't think that when it comes to the mental acuity, um, let me put it this way. I don't know that either candidate, Joe Biden or Donald Trump, are, are putting together these, rhetorically, these huge coherent thoughts. Um, Joe Biden is certainly not the order that he once was. Donald Trump hasn't been one. He's more of the entertainer, um, an excellent one at that. I, people hang on his every word because they find it so entertaining. And, uh, you know, he's going to find his way. Now the campaign will find its way. I mean, I think that certainly, um, you know, this race is not over. Let me say that again. This race is not over. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you have Wisconsin five points. I mean, there there are definitely, uh, there's definitely a path to, um, to, for Republicans to win in November, but, but they must take the virus seriously. They must take COVID-19 seriously. They must come to terms with it. They must diffuse it. They must take it off the table in a sense with the idea that we are not that it's just going to disappear, but we have to have a national response. We have to have a national strategy. Your president, you own it. You own the issues. You have to go ahead and deal with it. And I think the Democrats will have a tendency to have their giddiness that they do, and to kind of over get overconfident that they did in 2016, and they will go far to the left, and they will keep going, and um, perhaps that is the opening that the Republicans need to show the country that they are the more sane and competent party. Now, we have the conventions next week, Democratic uh, convention next week. Republicans the week after. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Really, nothing going to happen. Everything's going to be online. Uh, you know, the Democrats look a little bit more competent in this thing. That's not usually the where they are. It's usually Republicans looking more competent and more corporate. Uh, Republican planning has been somewhat chaos. They're back to Charlotte, and really nothing is going to happen. The president's not going to be there. We don't know exactly where he's going to be, but that's kind of it. So we shall see. I mean, we're, you know, it's on. It's on. This is what's happening. Uh, it's Biden-Harris. And uh, for all that, you know, against Trump-Pence, I don't believe for a second that Mike Pence will not be off the t- will be off the ticket. I think that would be a colossally bad move. Overall, you, you, run, you run with what you have. It's about Trump anyway. Who even remembers who was Hillary Clinton's running mate back in 2016? I mean, I do. It's Tim Kaine, but he's not a memorable figure. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter really much at all. The only times that you really remember are the people who kind of harmed the ticket, you know, Alice Sarah Palin and the like. So that's it for this week here on Spin Class. And uh, we will be following eagerly as uh, the news in the political sphere as we uh, move along into 2020 and approach November 2020 in a very, very strange political year, a very, very strange year altogether. See you uh, next week or maybe in two weeks here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.